Through their investment in the corn checkoff, Minnesota's corn growers are fueling research that builds a more sustainable future for farmers and all Minnesotans. Each month, we will be speaking with the researchers who are leading the projects helping farmers become better stewards of the land and developing new markets that increase profitability. Our guest today is Jody DeYoung-Hughes, an Extension Water Resources Specialist with the University of Minnesota. Jody has helped organize and participate in a soil health field day with her focus on what she's calling soil pits. I, I think sometimes we take for granted how great our soil is, and we do have some of the best soil in the whole world, and I'm not biased about that. We really do in Minnesota, and that rich black color that we have means that we have lots of organic matter. We have just these great soils, and in the wintertime and, and spring before the crop has covered the you know, had full canopy, you'll see it blowing away. And you can also see it washing away where we have our hills. And tillage is actually the most destructive thing. It is It moves soil more than wind and water combined. So we build these two soil pits. Having one at the bottom of the hill, you'd see all this nice, great, black, deep, you know, soil. And up at the top, you would see that it's a lot lighter in color and it doesn't go near as deep. And to manage those two is very different because where you're losing that organic matter and uh, and you know you have like those uh, clay knobs out in the middle of the field, they're a lot lighter in color. One, the organic matter is a lot less. Your pH is a lot higher. You can also get more salts in those areas, and you definitely don't have the nutrients that you do where the, your soil is black. So, again, how do you manage? How do you... You know, weed control is based on your pH and your organic matter content. And how do you put in nutrients into those areas? So being able to keep the soil where you really need it is is what we're trying to do. And you do that by keeping it covered. And as long as you can throughout the year with as much as you can to be comfortable. I'm not saying that people need to go to full cover crops and no-till. That's that would be a pie in the sky. That would be great, and some farmers can do that. But we're just trying to show small ways that you can back off your tillage, either the depth, the intensity, or how many passes you make. Changing out the shovels on your uh, chisel plow would help. Things like that, things that are actually doable and more economical than going out and buying a whole new machine or something. Um so we're trying to show that in the soil pits, and it's a really great visual to show what's moving and what that means to the farmer. In your interactions with farmers, Jody, where do you think most of the hesitation comes from with those farmers that uh, have relied on tillage for a long time and uh, they're they're not really getting behind the idea of, of reducing tillage, uh, having more organic matter, on top of the soil, is it is it about cost? Is it about tradition? I mean, what what do you think the hesitation is? Uh, you nailed the two biggest ones. Um, tradition. One, your dad, your grandpa has been doing this for years and years, and you know it it's worked for them, and it has. But we've lost a lot of soil. You know, when you see those gray skies on windy days, that's your clay blowing away, and it can literally go thousands of miles. And, you know, it's clay is actually microscopic, an individual particle you can't see unless you have a microscope. And the wind can pick that up and blow it away so easily. And so we're, 
we lost soil, but it's so incremental, it was hard to see. So these soil pits will help show how different that soil is because of management. And so tradition is one of them, but, you know, the kids going off to college or, or just going on the Internet more are learning more and more about their soil and different ways to do things, and they're bringing it home. Now, sometimes the, the dad and the grandpa are like, nope, 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 and I get a lot of complaints from younger kids saying they won't try these things, and it's like, I wonder how your approach is. <laughs> Um, but then there's also older ones that have gone into re- a really reduced till system and their kids are coming saying, oh, this takes too long and just wants to, you know, go as fast as they can out there. So it goes both ways. It's not just one generation. And then the cost, yes. So if you want a planter that can get through a lot of residue, then you need trash whippers on there. And, you know, you, there's certain things you really need to have. And we'll have equipment out there to kind of show that. Um, if you want to go into a strip-till machine, well, there's some used ones out there you can find. There's a lot of farmers that have created their own and have done a great job. And then there's a, a big difference between the companies out there. You know, you could get a 12-row for $106,000 from one company and $320,000 from another. So that's why we like bringing them in side by side so you can see, well, what are the benefits of one that's at 300000 versus 100000 um, there's cost can really do it and then there's risk and that's another one the perceived risk we have 15 years of tillage research that shows you will not lose yield uh, in a corn bean rotation third year corn can be very tricky but if it's corn corn bean or corn bean we don't see a problem um, but just having your neighbors talk and things like that but I think that's going away with uh, all the education out there and all the uh, newspaper articles and egg magazine articles and interviews and podcasts, people are realizing there's different ways of doing things, and it's okay to try, and it's okay to fail. Um, people say, oh, I don't want to fail, but failure is a part of success. You learn so much more. So that's why I also say start small. I don't want you to fail on a 1,000 acres. <laughs> That, yeah, you would be mad at me and I wouldn't blame you. Start small. Take a 40-acre piece. Try it out and also tweak it. Find people to help you out. Uh, having mentors. So that's the other reason for having these farmers here. All of them are really good at helping with advice and, and how to tweak things. Because I can say, oh, try this, but I'm not there in the fall when things go wrong. And And uh, some farmers will just, give up but instead look at what went wrong if it went wrong and maybe you just needed a lower seeding rate of that cover crop maybe it was just too dry and it wasn't the year to put it in there's so many aspects so to talk this out with somebody and there's a lot of sites online too that you can talk to people and get good advice so I think we're in a a different time now than we were 10-15 years ago where you can help get that education. You can, you know, it, it just, to me, it's like putting the far- fun back into farming. And then back to cost, isn't there also a, another side of the coin there where if, if you do have to invest in a, a strip till machine or, or, or more um, aspects of the, the planter that you need to invest in, you're also reducing 
passes, right? You're getting rid of your, your deep tillage equipment, your rippers and things like that. So that, that kind of balances out the cost a little bit. Oh, uh, definitely. Uh, reducing your passes. You know, a disc ripper can cost you around $26 an acre. You also spend more fuel. And you go about the same speed as a strip tiller. So we're also looking at, you know, using vertical till where you can go faster and shallower. That uses less fuel, takes less time. And you're right, having less passes of, of tillage is a, an immediate cost savings. And also if you band apply your nutrients, instead of going out there and broadcasting and then having to do, you know, an incorporation of them, this way if you band them and get them underneath the soil so they're not, you know, moving with the water, um, you know, that, that's a huge savings right there too. The one that's a little bit trickier is cover crops. And so you're putting in this expense and you're hoping that you're getting a return. And a lot of times in soil, it's a return that you can't see. It's not the same as like weed management where you go out there and spray and seven to 10 days later, you know if it, it you know, how effective that was. You can see later in the, uh, the season when you see the weeds coming above the canopy, you know it wasn't as good. But when you start changing soil, it's, you can't see it. How do you know your microbes are happy? How do you know that you're losing less carbon as carbon dioxide? Because I don't know what carbon dioxide looks like. Basically, it's invisible. So, <laughs> uh, but there are machines out there that do measure it. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, the, you do less tillage, you lose less carbon. That carbon is there in the soil to help build soil organic matter. Perceptions about cover crops and yield. Is, is the attitude sort of, as long as I don't see a reduction in yield, then I, then I think cover crops are worth it because of the, the known benefits in, in soil health, organic matter, things like that. What, what are the opinions when it comes to yield and cover crops and, and the attachment or detachment there, if, it, if that makes sense? Right. With cover crops, um, one of the lowest hanging fruit and the way to make cover crops pay is if you have cattle. And you get them out there and they can, um, you know, feed longer. They're not in a feedlot. They're spreading manure around, that type of thing. And there is an MDA site that kind of hooks up people that have cover crop land and people who have goats, cows, uh, sheep that want a place to feed them later in the season after harvest. And so you can, to me, it's like a little dating site. You know, you match them up and uh, you can go on there and do that if you don't have the cattle. But if you're in a corn and bean rotation, um, I think what you're going to see visually is in the wintertime, you won't see your soil blowing away. Last winter, we actually had snowfall, and that kept a lot of the soil intact. Uh, but the spring gets to be tricky. The four winters before that, we did not have a lot of snow cover. And, you know, then you see snurt, where you see the, the soil in the snow. And we have measured that, and we're seeing a lot of, lot of soil moving to the ditch. And like I said before, that's not counting the clay. The clay is moving up into the air and moving thousands of miles away, whereas the silt and the sand are heavier, and they kind of um, you know, jump across the soil and in much slower, and they make it more to the ditch. So you're not the stuff that we're counting in the ditch is not even including the stuff that's moving in the air. So cover crops, what they'll do is they'll show, 
a, a reduction in soil movement. And this over time will start keeping your soils there, building so soil organic matter, building soil structure. And actually, if you get good root growth, they'll build soil structure fairly quickly. Reducing tillage, I say to people, building soil structure, say in southern Minnesota, would be around four years. You'll start seeing a real difference. And as you go north, it takes a little bit longer. With cover crops, that helps build that structure much faster. So if you can combine that, uh, that it would give you the biggest bang for your buck. Now, farmers who are you know risk adverse and really kind of worried about that, start with one or the other. And to me, I would say start with reducing your tillage. That's, to me, the biggest thing to start with and then add in the cover crops and things like that. Jody, one other thing, and I probably should have asked it when you were talking about carbon. It would have been a good follow-up to that, but uh, I'll ask it now. You know, there's talk mm -hmm. in Washington about creating carbon markets for farmers. Have you noticed that that has piqued the interest of growers that you talk to, that, that they think that that does have um, – some viable potential down the road? And, and what are your personal thoughts? Well, about 15, 20 years ago, there was a carbon market, and it fell apart. And I was so excited for it because it was rewarding farmers for, you know, uh, keeping the soil in place, basically. And that fell apart, And but now it's building up again. But what's different this time than before is we have consumers that are, you know, and they really want their, their everything they use to be sourced responsibly. And I have a, a coworker that she even told me, you know, toilet paper comes from the boreal forests of, of Russia, and I had no idea. So the millennials, you know, sometimes we, we tease them a little bit, but they care. They care very much where things are coming from. And they have the Internet that shows them, everything. Now, it's not always correct, but they are really behind this drive. And so, you know, they will pay more to know that their food is coming from a good place. And I think that is a huge change than 15, 20 years ago. And so I have a lot of hope that this will take off and reward farmers for doing these things and, and helping them out in areas to try new things and, and have that cost, you know, negated a little bit for them so that they can try these things. And, and honestly, it is making it more fun. Instead of just, uh, you know, tilling, planting, spraying, uh, harvesting, tilling, this uh, puts a whole different level of creativity into it. And I don't know, it just makes it a little more exciting. To learn more about some of the research DeYoung Hughes is involved in, visit mncorn.org.